Welcome to Everyday Martial Artist, a weekly podcast where you'll join me, Brian Doucet, as I interview a different martial artist each episode and hear their story. Some guests you may have heard of, and some you probably haven't. Be sure to subscribe where all your favorite podcasts are available. Also, visit our website at everydaymartialartist.com. If you're listening for a specific interview, I sure hope you'll stay and check out the other episodes. A very special thank you to Topher Williams for our custom theme music. And now, the newest episode of Everyday Martial Artist. Everyday Martial Artist is brought to you by KOonline.com for all your martial arts needs. Sparring and safety gear, rank belts, uniforms, weapons, patches, and more. Wholesale supplies made by martial artists for martial artists. Visit us today at KO-Online.com. Hello and welcome to Everyday Martial Artist. I'm your host, Brian Doucette, and as we do every week, we're joined by a brand new guest talking about their life and their journey throughout the world of martial arts and other stuff they're involved in. My guest today is not only a martial artist, but an actor and a musician, was born into a musical family in New Bedford, Mass., and began performing at age 13. Throughout the 60s, he played sax in New England for the Blazers, Bernie and the Cavaliers, The New Spices, Mike and Jenna, and Triumph. In the 1970s, he joined the band he is best known for, John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown Band. While with this band, he was featured on many movie soundtracks, including for one of my all-time favorite movies, Eddie and the Cruisers. My guest today was also in that movie and the sequel, where he played the fictional saxophonist Wendell Newton. Please welcome my guest today, Michael Tunes and Tunes. How are you doing today, sir? Good afternoon, young man. How are you? I'm great. <laughs> I'm doing good. I'm 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 excited to be talking to you. I'm I'm a huge fan. Like I, I mentioned, it's it is one of my all time favorite movies. And when I found out you were a martial artist, I'm like, I need to interview him. I really have to. I think he'd be fun to talk to. So I'm looking forward to this. Well, the martial arts. Uh, I got started that back when I went into the Air Force back in 1960. You know, up until that time, I was an athlete, baseball, basketball, football, you know, Little League, Pony mm -hmm. League, and um, played a little bit a couple of times uh, with semi-pro baseball. Oh, wow. And one year's semi-pro football. Wow. And that was after, right after I got out of the military back in 63. Mm -hmm. And um, But the martial arts uh, side of me has uh, been with me my whole life. And uh, I tell people sometimes, you know, if you eat right, work out right, you'll live long. Mm -hmm. Okay? And always be prepared, be ready, and be exact. The be ready and be prepared and be exact came in. I was an Air Force air policeman. Okay. So we had to uh, always be physically fit, morally straight, and look you in the eye and give you the look. And you had to back the look up. So I was looking for something to back me up. And that's when I found martial arts. Wow. Which, okay. uh, because weapons don't always answer the problem. Right. And uh, so if I was able to come upon a scene or, or something that is happening that involved the air police, I needed to be ready. And with the onset of uh, martial arts, uh, it was uh, Taekwondo that I was learning okay. from another airman uh, who had been stationed over in Korea for a couple of years. And it really opened my eyes as to the possibilities of how to defend yourself when you had nothing but you, mm -hmm. your hands, your feet, your head. And if you use your head, you'll know where to put your hands and your feet. And that came to pass. Uh, several times without a uh, serious injury to anyone, uh, let's say a perpetrator or someone of that nature who was uh, out of whack, let's say, out of line and mm -hmm. crossing the line. And so the martial arts, without pulling out your club, 
or even your your side weapon, you were able to stop and subdue that individual or individuals with the least amount of uh, uh, chaos. Wow. And the martial arts, I tell people all the time, I said, you'd be surprised. Your biggest war that you have is inside your head. Mm-hmm. What am I going to do? And that's a big question. And how do I do it? That's the second big question. The biggest question is, well, what were the results? And if your results come by using certain techniques that you know that's available to martial artists, you can solve something pretty quick. Right. And if it tends to go long, your training and your, your, your endurance level is high. So if you have to go a minute or two and you're still standing and you have the situation on the hand, you won. So I carry that across my music. Like I said, I was, you know, playing sports and in high school, playing mm-hmm. music in high school and, you know, still doing everything, you know, that everybody does. Right. You know, um, how many people know martial arts? You don't know until somebody hits you with a roundhouse kick in the head. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> that is very true. <laughs> <laughs> it is a, oh, your hands should have been up. Well, it's too late now. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know what I mean? So all those things uh, come into play, your awareness and um so that went on. And then in the middle 60s, uh, I was living upstate New York and I was playing with a band called Bernie Milton and the Cavaliers. And one day I'm standing there. And so Bernie says, so what's all this martial arts stuff? You know what I mean? Karate, you know what I mean? And I says, let me show you. And we were standing out in the hallway by the office of the uh, agent that used to book us. Mm-hmm. And I said, see that? I'm going to stand right here. You see the, the sill around the door up here up, up top? which is about six and a half or seven feet or so, I said, I'm going to kick that. <laughs> and he's standing in front of me, and I just leapt straight up, did a front ball kick, hit it, pow. I hit it, and you know, the little plaster dust came out. The, and he said, what the hell? I said, imagine if that was your chin. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I said, you'd lose, I'd win. <laughs> and it got him involved in martial arts. Oh, wow. And he, okay. he finally uh, started studying. And uh, that's when we got into Shotokan. Oh, and, nice. Um, and uh, he went on to, in the next three years, I think it was, attain his black belt and open a school of martial arts. Wow, that's cool. And this was up in uh, Ithaca, New York. Okay. And so he got some of his other friends and guys uh, who became my friends living up there and stuff. There was two other fellows uh, that had gotten their uh, black belts over the course of the next three to four years. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we had been studying with this individual who was out of Syracuse and he used to come down to Ithaca two, three times a month for a specific class. So it took a while for those guys who weren't in black belts or not aware of the martial arts critique, so to speak. And um, that was pretty cool. You did Taekwondo for a few years in the Air Force, then you switched to Shotokan. What are what were some yeah. of the, when you first switched to Shotokan, what were some of the things that stood out as being different from Taekwondo? Well, automatically the first things is the, uh, the katas that you learn for yep. each style are different. So it, it puts you in a, an area where, like myself, I was already a black belt, so I knew what a, a horse stance was or a forward stance or shoot or backhand, or sidekick, or spinning hand. I knew all those things. So when they came up in the contest, and the drastic difference between Taekwondo and Shotokan, in Taekwondo, every strike takes you out. That is the premise. It takes you out. Mm -hmm. In uh, Shotokan, it wasn't that dramatic. Let's say it was a little more uh, 
I don't know if autistic is the right word. Oh, we're going to do this. You know, let your hand float. Do did that. You know, there was no floating or any of that business in uh, Taekwondo. Okay. It came, if I hit you with a ball kick, it's going to take you through the room. Nice. If I took, you know, and then with uh, the little bit of judo I was getting at the same time, so that if you're not able to throw a kick or a punch or any kind of a, a, an attack, if somebody grabbed you, this is where I got into judo, where somebody grabbed you and rushing around and you know, people would say, oh, that's wrestling. Yeah, it's only wrestling until I throw you to the floor. <laughs> and then I hit you with a, with a stomp kick, <laughs> you know, on your head <laughs> or your chest. You know what I mean? And uh, so that was the uh, uh, the biggest difference with that. And uh, then I, it was Kaiko Shinkai. Okay. That was when I came back to um, Massachusetts. Okay. This one fellow, he was a... Uh, I'm only saying his nationality because that's who he was. He was a Jewish young man. Okay. He had to be about 28 or 29. But the moment he walked in the dojo, he became Japanese. Okay. He would be talking to you, you know, in the lobby. Hi, how's everything? Everything good. The moment he walked out, walked in, everything was, hey, and I would, the first time I met him, I was like, what the heck? <laughs> And he lived the role, you know, yep. and uh, I studied with him for about a couple of years. And uh, then I finally I got my father interested in martial arts. Nice. And my dad had to be about 54, 55 or something. OK. And it took him about a two and a half to three years. And he attained the rank of first degree black belt in this style that these two brothers had come up with. Okay. Uh, which was called Kashi. Mm -hmm. And Kashi was five martial arts, you know, Aikido, Jiu-Jitsu, Judo, uh, Karate, and Kempo, and I forgot what the other one was off the top of my head. And he, and my dad got good at, he could box. My father was a good boxer. Mm -hmm. But it was the only thing in my life that I was able to introduce my father to because he was a musician. Yep. I mean, an incredible musician. And Myself and my three brothers, we all uh, were musicians, and I took it to the next level of, you know, touring records and all that. And so I used to, uh, I was my father's assistant, even though I, I outranked him. It wasn't anything of that nature of rank. It was just, I was assisting him with the school that he started in our town. Oh, wow. And he ended up having like uh, three different locations, uh, two in the, in the town. Uh, no, one in the town and two in the city next door. Wow. I would say there was well over 60 or 70 students in the years that he had the school. Okay. That still some of them I run into occasionally, you know, and it's it was just a, a great, great kind of camaraderie. Yeah. And so, a lot of them uh, felt like they weren't helpless anymore. Or mm -hmm. they were at the mercy of some bully or a gang or this or that. And they felt that they could, you know, like I always would say, stand your ground. And when a wall is behind you, the only way you go is forward, okay? Mm -hmm. And my dad used to say, you know, if the odds are on it, you run today and you fight tomorrow. So nice. that was his thing that he came up with. Okay. And you said you, you did attain your black belt in, in Taekwondo? Yes. Okay. What was that test like back then? I know I've talked to people who've tested, you know, in like the seventies, you know, 80s. How different was it? Like what kind of stuff did you it have was, to go through? It was brutal. It was extremely, you know, martial arts is physical anyways. Yes. But it was to find out 
How strong are you? What is your endurance? How far can you go? How can you last? What can you do to make you last? And if I've got you pinned where you can't get out, you have to get out. Yeah. If you don't get out, you're done. Now, fight. That was it. Wow. And like I said, it was with uh, Taekwondo, was every strike was a takeout strike. Mm-hmm. I never got any broken bones, thank God. You know, a couple of uh, uh, bloody nose one time and backing off a, a, a strike to the face and stuff like it. Although there was supposed to be no strikes to the face or cross-legged strikes. But that wasn't said to me when I first started taking tackles. You take him now, you cross-leg, trip him, boom. Ah, put his leg in a lock, tap the rug, you know, break a hole through the floor, say, I give up, I give up. <laughs> nice. So it was, you know, and um, there was no mats. It was hardwood floors. Nice. You know what I mean? Like when I went with the uh, uh, Kaikushinkai and into Aikido mm-hmm. and then Chinese Kempo, it, it was, you know, there were mats on the floor, especially when we wanted full contact and do, and I would always say, do what you know. Right. Because I got into it one time with, uh, one, this is before I t- took judo, and but I had judo. But I didn't have it as a class per se. Mm-hmm. And I took someone down with a shoulder throw and a, a backflip thing. And they jumped up and started screaming at the instructor. We're supposed to be doing karate. And the instructor <laughs> said, do what you know. Nice. That's cool. Do what you know to win. And that got me deep into uh, uh, judo. The judo, I never got a, a, a black belt out of it okay. of sorts. But I was really good. I was quick. I was strong. You know, my, my height and weight dis, was dis, uh, uh, deceivable because I weighed about maybe 170 the most. And I was at the time five foot eight and a half, five foot nine. Okay. And they would always wonder, where do you get that power from? And it was a, a matter of uh, energetics, let's say, mm-hmm. or, or uh, the idea of the shortest point with the most power is going to inflict the, the, the hardest blow. So being that, I learned that when, when I was in high school playing football, because I went out for football. My father said, I told you not to go out for football. And it was so funny because on my freshman year, I'm out there running back and forth. And I, then I look in the sideline and there's my father standing next to the coach. I said, <laughs> oh, no, my heart went down in my stomach. You know, I'm a freshman, you know, and he did his wave and I come running over and the coach is standing there. Not he's listening, but he's still looking at the field because we're practicing and I thought I told you not to come out for football. He said, after about a minute in ran, the coach says, Pete, the kid can play. Kid can play. My father, his famous two words, show me. <laughs> I said, oh, God. I run back out in the field, and the coach, of course, the coach is going to call plays. Is gonna... And at the time, I was playing middle linebacker at 145, 148 pounds. Wow. And my father, and so. Then when I finally looked up over there after about ten minutes or so, I'm gone. You know, I gotta prove my father was gone. You know what I mean? I said, "Oh, oh he wow. saw enough." Yeah, he saw enough. So he went home, and when I got home for dinner, uh, was sitting there, and we lived in a small town, and and uh, you know, I told you not to go out for football. I said, Dad, I can play. I can play that. You know, he said, Yeah, and I know the coach told me. Did you say something? I said, I said, I said, You watched, Dad. You know, you never talk back in those days. You never talk back. Yep. You were, you know, and uh, he says, Well, I'll give you one hit. You weigh what, 146, 147? He said, If you're going to play that position, don't go shoulder to shoulder. 
I mean, don't go mano a mano. Take the 146 pounds and put it on his knee. Put it on his ankle. Otherwise, they're going to run over you and the cleats are going to be in your face. <laughs> so that's what I learned, you know, back then with that. Wow. So that thought always crossed my mind into martial arts. Yeah. Put that blow or that point of contact where where his weakness is. If you want to go mano a mano, go you know go arm wrestling. You know what I mean? Yep. And so that for me with martial arts has it, it, been uh, something really. And and I have a friend. His name is uh, Donnie Culp. I call him Mr. Culp. He calls him Mr. Tunes. You know, <laughs> and uh, he's now got his own style. Uh, Shizinto. Okay. And it's called The Natural Way. And he's a ninth degree now. Oh, wow. And I've known Don Culp since he was turning 16 when I was going into uh, this one style of Chinese Kempo. And after I was new, this was in Rhode Island. And after about five, six months, I told the instructor, Mr. Arondo, I says, uh, I'd like to go up for my belt. He said, oh, no, you have to be a minimum, minimum year and a half, two years. So they put me off. And then the second time I went, I went right to the headmaster's uh, dojo, which was like 20 miles away. And he says, all right, okay. Because he knew I was being very aggressive about it. Mm -hmm. So in his mind, he was going to teach me a lesson that I'm not ready. Mm -hmm. And there was an old saying back in the day, when the student is ready, the teacher shall appear or will appear. And so they called uh, for me to go have this test. And so I get back to the school I'm in, which is associated with them. And I says, I'd like to have your biggest, strongest student you have as my uki. Mm. And it happened to be Mr. Cope. And he was, he's about 6'2", I guess, 6'1", 6'2". He's a big boy. I mean, yeah. all in shape. And there's no fat on this kid. <laughs> and that test, right, that test was three and a half, almost four hours long. Wow. Just me. Wow. Just me. And with the honor for me was my dad was sitting on the board because I had asked if my father could sit as a guest. Nice. He had never seen me go for a black belt. That's cool. And that and, and Mr. Kofa, uh, the uh, style that he teaches is really, really, it's a really strong. It's called uh, the natural way. Mm -hmm. Shinzento. Shinzento. Okay. No, excuse me. Again, you know, those, the things of, like when I say they're martial arts, how it works, even though I'm a musician, martial arts can work for anybody to sustain you. It doesn't matter. You could be a doctor, lawyer, a plumber, a carpenter, an airline pilot, or whatever. Martial arts, just from doing the exercises alone, will help rejuvenate you and let you live a longer, stronger life. Definitely. And whatever it is it does, it, it, you know, I had these things. It's a poem I wrote, and it's B-P-B-R-B-E. Uh, -E. Be prepared, be ready, be exact. I like that. You know, my, my sons, a couple of my sons, uh, my son Michael, Michael too, he's a uh, black belt in uh, Anis, Filipino weapons. Okay. And um, I have two others. My, uh, my daughter-in-law, Lisa, she's a black belt. I can't remember her style. Mm-hmm. And my niece and my nephew uh, in Connecticut are both black belts. Wow. And a couple of my grandsons are and been in martial arts for quite a while. So definitely a family affair. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Between, you know, our family, you know, most people don't know that the martial arts depth of that because I don't go around saying that. Right. 
because this way here, if somebody has the wrong motive towards one of your family members or stuff, and they already know that the person knows martial arts, they're going to be a little wary yeah. if they say or try and do something that's wrong. But if uh, you know what I mean? So yep. it, it's sort of like it's like a, a protective uh, umbrella shield of sorts. Because, mm-hmm. see, I have four Michaels. Oh, wow. It's me, Michael two, Michael three and Michael four. Michael four is 15. OK. And, uh, his father's trying to. And my son, Michael one, uh, two and Michael three are both ex-Marines. Nice. So we tell him you better, you know, you got to K-A-K-S-A. <laughs> Which means kick some. Nice. <laughs> I won't say it. That's okay. You can say it. That's fine. <laughs> but they're good guys, though. You know what yeah. I mean? My son, Michael, the one that's uh, on East, a black belt, he uh, uh, retired several years ago now, about, a, about seven, eight, nine years. He was a correctional officer, sergeant of about a good 20 something years of him on a correctional system here in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And my other son, Warren, he's retired 30 years, correctional officer. And uh, I keep telling you guys are retiring like this. I'm only going to be 65. What's wrong with you? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right, Dad. You're older than Methuselah. (laughs) See, that's that's the thing. It's you know some of the nicest people that are martial artists. Those are the ones you don't know are martial artists. uh, And then there's usually some of the best ones that they don't. You know, they don't brag about it. They don't show off. No, there's a calmness uh, uh, that you know that if you were to not maintain yourself you would burn yourself out. Mm-hmm. In other words, psychologically, emotionally. It allows you to keep your head, even in situations that are not dire. You know what I mean? And yeah. It's just that if something happens, you have that quietness, that balance in you to sustain you through whatever it is or obstacles that you've got to deal with right now. Mm-hmm. There's no planning. And you react. And that's what martial arts does. It gives you... Uh, a, a, a tremendous amount of left and right and balance that you come by and you utilize it in a way that's beneficial for you and to the persons that you're doing this to. Very cool. And people come to respect you knowing that you could have done something really terrible by taking them out. That's the bottom line. Mm-hmm. Or breaking a leg or an arm. Or hitting them so hard that the person is, uh, they get unconscious and they never come out of it. Yeah. So you have the opportunity and the expertise at that point, how to exercise it. Because I think we all know when we're in imminent danger or not. Yep. And then if you have to cut loose with something that's truly lethal, you're doing it and being compassionate about it. There's a difference Right. So I, I love the way that you've been talking about your experience in, ta- in Taekwondo, because I, I think although it's one of the most popular martial arts in the world, it's also one of the most, I think, misunderstood. And a lot of that has to do with the Olympics. It's it's so recognized as a sport now that a lot of people right. don't don't think it's a real martial art. And I, I see so many people online and stuff. Like, oh, it's not a real sport. No, you know, you, you don't know Taekwondo. You don't know. You don't know real self-defense. Mm-hmm. You don't know how to. And I, I keep telling people that's not real Taekwondo. 
It's like there, there's a difference between the sport yeah. and the art. And the people who know traditional Taekwondo know how to handle themselves. People don't get that. That's why I, I love hearing you talk about that because it's, you know, I, I studied traditional Taekwondo. I've studied other styles too, like you, but I studied traditional Taekwondo and it's, I'm very confident in my abilities and, and I've, you know, <laughs> I, I know what my instructor is capable of and stuff. And yes, we do the sport part too, but our focus is on the, on the traditional and the self-defense and we blend in judo and hapkido and jujitsu and, and boxing and other styles too. So it's, it's, it's a True. very, very, yeah, with, very well-rounded. Yeah, see, with the with the uh, uh, Olympics and stuff like that, when you're through, you help that your opponent up. Mm-hmm. If it's the real the real deal, you step over them and you leave. Yeah, that's the difference. Yep, because that person's not going anywhere. Exactly. No. So then, once once you got into music and and started touring quite a bit, were you able to still study martial arts like you wanted to? Did you find time to keep going? I competed up until I was forty. What? Just before I did the movie, like 41. Really? I was competing at these tournaments, you know, that were, uh, you know, on a Saturday or Sunday mornings at different places and mm-hmm. stuff that was, you know, within dry. And, but what made it hard was that I'd be playing at that time. We'd be doing a show here or there. And you get done at one o'clock in the morning yep. or two o'clock in the morning. So by the time I get home, it's six o'clock if I'm out of state or, you know what I mean? So and you had to be there by 10 o'clock or something <laughs> to sign in and register. And I found out after a couple of times when I get caught with a kick or a punch in the top of the shoulder that I should have had that. What the heck? And I started to realize I wasn't getting enough sleep yep. over the course of time. And I, there was nothing you can do to change that. You either get to sleep or you don't. Right. And I said, damn, I don't want to take that opportunity. So I stopped competing and I went from, uh, it was full contact except for the cross legs or to the face. Okay. And, you know, it was a point system and it was like, it predated mixed martial arts that you see on TV today. Yeah, definitely. It was, and one, one instructor I had, Danny Zabo, who was from Rhode Island. Uh, he started um, a group called Rhode Island Thunderbolts, and okay. I was part of that. And then I had to get out because, like I said, I was trying to. Is you can't burn two you know, the candle at both ends and want them to, you know, it's one side's going to suffer. Yeah. And if I got hurt in the face, in my mouth, and I play saxophone, then the other side of me that what I do is going to suffer. Yeah. So I I couldn't take that chance. I had a put my pride in my pocket so if i wanted to have full contact or something like that i'd put a helmet on and do it in the dojo okay you know and have go at it for a good five ten minutes mm-hmm. you know what i mean in the course of a night and, and i was working out you know uh twice a week monday and wednesdays because okay. fridays and the rest of the week would be uh for playing at that time nice so do you remember your very first tournament that you entered oh god that had to be, let me see. That was after I left New York and came back to Massachusetts because I wasn't into tournaments. I was into fighting. I said, I'm learning this. So if I have to, I'll kick your ass. And the first thing I'm going to do is if I feel that good, because I cross that line in reference to you can't take on everyone thinking you're going to win every single time, but you should. But I didn't want to get into that thing where, oh, there's a doubt. Yeah. About what it is and what it, you know, what happens if a guy pulls a weapon or a girl pulls a knife or a stick or something and you get hit with it because the odds are nothing is perfect in this world. So I started developing 
are mental martial arts. So in other words, if I was quick enough in my mind to ascertain the look in someone's face and flip it around, is this serious or is this guy bluffing or is he just running his mouth or is he really going to attack? Right. And what could I say to stop that, to deflect it, redirect it? And that's what I started doing. Okay. And I played in a lot of different clubs that some people wouldn't walk in because you walk in, you get your head knocked off. Yeah. So you have to learn not to walk and look aggressive, but look formidable, but be, hey, I want you on my side. Right. So I, that's the kind of thinking that I put in, into myself. And I've said this to my sons and to some other students and stuff like that. I said, what if you could stand in front of somebody and do a Bruce Lee? They started laughing. I says, mentally, Bruce Lee. So you're standing there, no matter what the person did, throw, kick, punch, spend this, all you had to do was just move your head, move your body, uh, just like that. And they missed, they missed, they missed. And after they missed enough times, they're tired. And they were tired, you pick them up, put them in their car, lock the door, good night, see ya. It sounds simple, but you know, it does work. Yeah. I've been in situations where, you know, well, we're taking everybody, we're going to kick everybody's butt in this place, we're going to line up over here. I'm not lining up anywhere, so that's in my head. I'm not going anywhere. Right. But if you think you need to go through this door, you're going to realize there's a cement doorway that you're not going to get through. Nice. No matter what you do. And it's a way of looking at someone and not challenging them, but you know what? This is going to be quite the defense on this side, especially if I know and, and it's not being egotistical or what that I know I could take you out if I just get as quick as I am and as slow as I see that you are compared to what I am, it's over. Okay. And then when they get that, they want to buy you a drink. <laughs> nice. So when you were competing, did you only compete in fighting? Did you ever do like forms competition or weapons competition? Oh, no, I did both. You did? I okay. I did forms. As being an instructor, you teach forms. Yep. And I won a few times. Came in a lot of second places and stuff like that. And because uh, I always thought the forms were, uh, uh, it was like the, uh, what you want to say, uh, the ballerina of martial arts. Right. That you can flip and jump and spin and, and then hit a target. Bang. Or if you have some uh, uh, um, different targets in different areas that you can hit this one and spin and hit that one is where you wouldn't believe you'd be able to go. So do you have complete dexterity of your body? And I would sometimes, uh, my instructor, when I was in the school, because it wasn't my school, would allow me to incorporate maybe more than one kata into one another and or have bookies stationed in different places, or in some instances, they would move back and forth from here to there so that you can do your forms so that people can see not only, boy, that is pretty, that looks good, but have different board breaks or cement block break with one as the final one so that you could show after a minute and a half to two minutes of doing a counter, you still have that energy that you can go over there pow, and break that board, boom, and hit that other board and come back in the final blow, a hammer fist on a one-inch cement block and break it. Nice. That makes people stand up and look and say, wow, yeah, holy mackerel. That's cool. You know, you miss times, the times that you miss, it never, mm -hmm. it's never, ever perfect. Yeah. That's why you have to stay with it, stay with it, stay with it, so that just like when you blink your eyes, you know your eyelashes are going to go back where they were. 
And so you keep that quickness, that speed, that power, that determination, that drive, that completion, that makes that whole picture of a kata really get lived by the people who are watching it. Never mind the judges. Mm -hmm. So Wow. So you mentioned teaching. How long did you teach for? When I was upstate, that was, let's see, that, I'd say about four years, five years. Okay. And then when I came back to Mass, the teacher saw that, you know, because I, whenever I went into a new school, I always would say, until I get, I'm here and I'm associated with the staff, I'll be a white belt. And at first they thought it was kind of, I said, no, out of respect, this is your style that you teach. I don't know it. I'm new to it. So when you have a new student, you give them a white belt. And you let the, the, as the rank goes, you know, you, and you see that this is done and that's done and this is good and that, and then you get the idea and you get the philosophy of what this style is about and how going back centuries, how the, the farmers didn't have weapons and how they came in with nunchucks and swords and stuff and this and that, and they had no weapons. So they had their hands. So they had to learn how to, you know, deflect and cause mayhem or to strike so that people would leave them alone. And it's just like the bow with your left hand covering your right hand. It was always, I come in peace. But should I have to, I will release my weapon from its sheath and I'm ready for war. Nice. So that's what happens when you, you, know, you bow with your hand in, in case with your left hand over it. And then, then when you, you start, your weapon is exposed and ready to do harm. Okay. And the other philosophy it deals with knowing martial arts, uh, going through the ranks, even if you're a green belt, brown belt, whatever degree you are and everything else, your first obligation to protect those who cannot protect themselves. Yep. And if you're not willing to step in and do that, then you're not born by the code of what the martial arts really truly means, helping those who can't help themselves. Oh, I like that. So throughout your music career, then, what lesson that you learned in martial arts do you think helped you as a musician the most? Well, as you know, I play saxophone. Yep. So if you have stamina and endurance, the stamina and endurance goes through my mouthpiece into my horn for an hour, two hours, or three hours, two days, three days, five days. So there's, there's a coalition there between being physically fit to be a musician, to do what I do, and stand up on stage you know, I'll give you an example. Of what, I, what I'm saying is like, mm -hmm. say I drove uh, an hour and a half from here to where I've got to go to the engagement. And I've got to be there for a sound check at two o'clock in the afternoon. So I leave my house at 11 o'clock, drive, and then two o'clock, I'm on the stage doing a sound check for another hour, an hour and a half, uh, take about an hour break. And then eight o'clock, we come on and we do a show from eight to 1030. And then after that's done at around 11.30 or so, drive back home for another two hours. That's over a 12-hour day yeah. that wow. you need stamina and energy. And a lot of that comes from, you know, a lot of people go to the gym. I still mm -hmm. go to the gym. You know, that's good. But the, if you learn a lot of the martial arts training is your body against your body. So that being said is you learn to be able to control your body or sustain it for a good length of time. So the transition from martial arts, although I started music before martial arts, but I did sports before that time. I ran baseball, ran football, ran fo uh, uh, basketball, ran track. So there was always that energy being put, being put, being put. And the transition into martial arts, because I wasn't playing football and basketball and baseball, 
like I did in high school. This took that place and at the same time enhanced the boxing skills that my father had taught me and my brothers. Okay. Because that was, you know, like I told you, my dad, when I came home from New York, I was still in the Air Force, so I said, Dad, you're going to see this. You're going to see this. You know, so my two kid brothers, David and Kugi, they were still home yet. They hadn't left home. So I said, go get, go get some wood over there. They went in the back because we lived in a small town. All right, I got a couple of pieces. Of wood. I said, stand there, all right, and you stand there. So, and my father standing right there. I said, Dad, watch. Well, you know, I took a step back. I took a step up. Bow, and I hit a, like a front ball kick over my brother. And my father said, and he, and he never moved. He just said, can you do that again? <laughs> Real nonchalantly. I'm going, I wasn't expecting him to go, wow. Whoa, whoa. He said, Can you do that again? So I did it again. Yeah, not bad. That's not good, you know. And that's what turned the tide of me. And I asked, I said, Dad, you gotta get some of this. You gotta get into martial arts. And that's when he got into Kashi. And like I say, uh, like three years later, he got his black belt and uh he was a force to deal with. That's cool. Because my my dad was about five foot three, five foot four. Oh wow. And uh but he had a he took a forty-four coat and he wasn't fat. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and he, and he had a hand like a sledgehammer, you know. Mm-hmm. So that that's what got dad into it, and uh, like I said, he had some schools later on and stuff. And when my dad passed away, there were so many martial artists. He was a special police officer, uh, musician. There was a hundred and two cars in our funeral procession for my dad. Wow! And the honor he got a police honor and a martial arts honor guard. And they did that without us asking. That's really and, cool. and it showed the, the camaraderie that he, and the respect that they had for him for being who he was. And martial arts was a, became a good part of him. And my dad was always one, like I said, you know, if you know martial arts, you protect those who can't protect themselves. Mm-hmm. But my dad was doing that. We saw that when we were growing up. Incidents that happened around uh, either the neighborhood or different uh, in town at different clubs where we happened to be playing. And, and he was always, always on point, which was so good. He was a good man. That's awesome. What a cool story. What an honor. So you, you kind of mentioned, you know, when you, when you were fighting tournaments, you kind of alluded a little bit to, to like mixed martial arts and, and the UFC and MMA. I'm just curious, is that something, are you a fan of that? Or what are your thoughts on like mixed martial arts? I don't follow it. Because, you know, it, it's like if it's something that you enjoyed doing back in the day mm-hmm. and you and you can't do it now because number one, or your age and number two, who's going to who's going to get in a ring to go full contact martial arts at 80 years old? <laughs> True. <laughs> and yeah. what, and I, I'm a little more than 80. <laughs> you know? And, and I, I, I'm in good shape. I'm mm-hmm. not in perfect shape, but I am. I'm in damn good shape for my age. And, and people are saying, dudes, you don't change. I tell them, sax players don't change. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, mixed martial arts, um, if I had to do it over, over again, I'd do it. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't have any, yeah, I wouldn't have any uh, reason not to. That's cool. You know, it's, it's like boxing is a referee in mm-hmm. there. And uh, you afterwards you know later on line you start relating that to the days of the gladiators centuries ago that's what they did they got in the ring and they that's it the best man is standing and that's what this mixed martial arts is it didn't change it's just got a little more sophisticated there you you go yeah 
I, you talked a little, little bit about some philosophies and stuff. So in all your years of martial arts, is there one philosophy that is at the top of your list? Stand your ground. Nice. Don't step back, step up. That's a good one. I but like stand that. your ground. Very cool. All right. I have some fun questions to wrap it up. This one, I'm, I'm you've done a lot of styles and, and been around a lot of martial artists. So who are maybe three, four, five names you would put on your personal Mount Rushmore of martial arts? Well, Ed Parker would definitely be one. Nice. Okay. I mean, he sort of like became the father of karate. Bruce Lee. Okay. My dad. Very and cool. And myself. Nice. I like that. And my son. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's good. I actually had uh, Ed Parker Jr. on my show. He was one of my first yeah. guests. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. He actually designed my logo for my podcast. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Super, super nice guy. I met him uh, 15, I think 2005 I met him when I was out in California. So I met him almost almost 20 years ago. And when I started the podcast, I asked him and he said he'd love yeah. to do it. And it was a really fun interview. Really cool guy to talk to. You know who's a friend and his father was a big time wrestler, The Rock. Dwayne Johnson? Yeah, he's a friend of mine, too. Really? Oh, that's cool. Yes, sir. And uh, the other one who I finally met was uh, Sylvester Stallone. We met him uh, down in Atlantic City at the Hard Rock. Okay. He'd be fun to meet. And we had dinner. Wow. Oh, yeah. It was so funny. It was just him, his brother Frank, and our band, Beaver Brown Band. Wow. Mm -hmm. And uh, so John is on one side of him, and John and I and Sly and Frank, we were mics because they were filming something for this new show that they had, a streaming that they have going on, Family This and That. Oh, yeah, the story. So we sat there, we had dinner and drank some wine and laughed and joked like we've been together for 20 years. (laughs) And uh, so John sang one of the songs, Hearts on Fire on uh rocky four yep but before that we had done the theme song voice of america's sons for cobra for cobra yep for cobra. i love that movie yeah so i told sly i says oh you know you and i we've got something in common that no one else has got here you know what i mean he says what i said your first director in the lords of flatbush and my first director in eddie and the cruz he's oh you have marty i said marty did we had the same director in our first movies that's awesome ever and that was cool so he's so he's being philosophical to John. He's going, oh, you guys waited to get my age, 76. <laughs> Cafferty's on the other side of him. He points to me, right? He says, oh, 82. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> and he looked at me. I said, it is what it is. That's awesome. And I had my, I had my cut shirt on, you know, and I have my biceps are still like, yes, they are. <laughs> That's awesome. But he was so funny. What the? <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> he'd be he'd be fun to meet. He'd be fun oh, to talk to. That was such a good time that day. That nice. was such a good time. Do you have a favorite martial arts book? It's one that my dad had, and it had, I can't think of that name. My brother's got it, my kid brother. Okay. And I'm trying to think of the name of it, but it, it was one of showing different artists and what their styles were. Okay. And I, I can't, and it was it wasn't your regular books. It was like wide. Was it like the the yeah. who the who's who in martial arts? One of those ones. It was yeah, and and it was the the book was it wasn't like shaped like a magazine, but it, uh, it was wider than your normal book. Yeah, and wider both ways, so you could open it from right to left. You know what I mean? Yeah. By that I mean yeah, and and the pictures are glossy and and uh, there was like like four pictures sometimes on one page and stuff. It mm-hmm. had to be a good 
uh, almost a good 12 inches wide, bigger than a um, an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. Okay. And if you took it and turned it on the side, yeah. It, and that one, my, my, I'm gonna ask my brother about that because that was pre- it was pretty informative, and um, I couldn't tell you. My brother might know where he got it and how he got it. Okay. Because I think it was uh, given to him by his students. It was nice. like a Christmas gift. Okay. I have one of the Who's Who in Martial Arts books from like the late 70s. Someone borrowed me. And it's just fun reading through that and hear, re- reading some of those stories about those guys. So very, very cool oh. book. I like it. There was, uh, you know, um, you know, Chuck Norris was became big. Yep. You know, as we all know. And I've had one of his machines, the Total Gem. Yeah. That's an incredible piece of machinery. Really? Okay. And uh, it really does wonders for you if you use it in the right manner. And you can use it just basically for everything. Yeah. Arms, legs, this, that. And I've got the last one I got was about five years ago. It was a, it's pretty expensive then. Yeah. The first one I got was only like four or five hundred dollars or something. But this one was like fourteen, fifteen hundred. And okay. I mean, it, yeah. But I still like using free weights. And uh, right now, my easy curl bar, I try and do four to six reps a day. It's only got like, uh, I think it's 55, 60 pounds on it. Yeah. But still, that's still good, though. I do reps of 10, 12, and 15. Wow. That's impressive. So, that's really impressive. That's, that's good that you're still doing that. How about a favorite martial arts TV show? I don't watch it. The only one that's on this is, uh, what's his name? Walker. That's a good one. Chuck Norris. It's a good show. Yeah. Because uh, I, I watch TV, but I don't watch television. Yeah. And my aunt is like, I tell my, my kids and my grandkids, especially, I says, you know, everybody is sitting here watching for an hour, two hours, and they already made their money. What are you doing to make your life better? There you go. You know what I mean? And yep. if, that song, if that story doesn't have a theme to it that is involving you in your life, eh, you might want to watch it when you've got nothing else to do. <laughs> and, and then, you know, because I've got 24 grandkids. Wow. Okay. And I have 25 great grandkids. Wow. Six sons, five daughters. Wow. And three great greats. Wow. That's impressive. Very cool. And my daughter, Juanita, is going to be 61. Jeez. Yeah. Okay. And my oldest son is going to be 62. Nice. I have one son. He's a keyboard player. He studied for a while when he was, before he left the area mm-hmm. him and my other son they were the drummer keyboard player for new kids on the block that's awesome and derek the drummer who's younger he's two years younger he was a ranking hot kid in the karate school wow. he was going to the same school yeah he was our number one kid you know he was about what 11 12 and yeah. he used to compete all the tournaments because i'd be out playing and uh, he'd go with the instructor and that and he'd come back with his little trophies and stuff and his name is Derek. He was the drummer for New Kids. Kevin was a keyboard player for New Kids. And Kevin right now, he's a musical director on tour. He's Madonna's musical director. One of my uh, friends, she's also a martial artist, you, maybe you know her, Christine Bannon Rodriguez. She was just at the Madonna concert two nights ago. Yeah, because they're, uh, they're, I want to say they're in Montreal today. Okay. Yeah, it was. I think it was either Sunday, yeah. Sunday or Monday. Uh, she went to the went to the Madonna concert. Yeah, she, she was posting about it. Does she live in Detroit? No, she she lives in. She might have traveled. She lives in uh, D.C. She teaches has, oh, okay. has a martial arts school traveled. in D.C. So she must have traveled. Yeah, yeah, because they went up to Toronto for two days, and then they went to they were going to Detroit, and then they come back to Montreal, and then I think they're going back down to New York City for a couple of days. 
But he's been with her as a musical director about 17 years. Wow. That's cool. And my youngest son, Matthew, uh, he got into martial arts, and his son, Quincy, got into martial arts. And Quincy, I think, became a brown belt. Okay. He's 20 now. But uh, Matthew, uh, my youngest son, he's uh, a drummer, guitarist. He was musical director for Tavares wow. for a while there. Mm-hmm. And uh, matter of fact, I'm doing a show with him uh, next month. Okay. It's a Motown tribute, Motown review thing. Fun. That would be cool. They're all doing stuff, yeah. which is good. So m- music and martial arts definitely runs in the family. And, oh, and law enforcement okay. is in our family. Nice. Like I tell you, my two older sons are retired correctional officers. Yep. I was an air policeman. My older brother was a police officer. My dad was a special police officer. Uh, my <laughs> grandson is a state trooper here in Massachusetts. Uh, the other one are two police officers, one in uh, New Haven and one in Wellesley, Mass., Wow. And my cousin, Jerry, he retired uh, as a lieutenant in the uh, New Haven Police Department. That's cool. So they would always bust our chops and say, you guys F up on the <laughs> stage. We're going to kick you. We're going to arrest you. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> it was funny. They're going to arrest us. That's funny. Uh, All right. Do you have a favorite martial arts movie? It goes back to that. The first and second one, the Bruce Lee movies. Okay. Uh, those those and uh that's just gonna be in the seventies, early seventies. Yeah, so it'd be like Chinese Connection, Fist of Fury, Enter the Dragon, Fist of Fury, Fist, Fist of Fury. Yeah, okay. Fist of Fury and Enter the Dragon. Nice. Because I remember I had the band and we were on the road. We were down in um outside of Baltimore and so Fist of Fury, whatever, was playing in a the theater on our night off, so the band wants to go. So we go. And it was it was so <laughs> it was funny. But it was stupid at the same time. People are jumping up and out. Watching, they're talking out loud <laughs> in the theater. No one watch this. Watch it. Because I've seen this before. My man's going to stand up. He's going to kick him dead <laughs> in his face. What? Pow. Oh, my man. My wow. man. My man. He, you know, it was like, I said, I can't come to this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Was, and you don't want to say nothing because the whole place will bring out ma'am. Yep. Wow. <laughs> it was kind of funny. That's funny. <laughs> This one d- doesn't have to be a martial arts movie. It can be any movie at all. Just a favorite movie fight scene. I really have to think about that. Oh, God. I escapes me because the way they do them nowadays, they're so you have to go back yep. a while. I've had people but, pick uh, Billy Jack and Rocky and Zorro. What's the French guy? He also played a part as a detective, but he was a martial artist in the movie at the same time and the same with uh oh my brain's dead uh what's the guy the big guy with the ponytail he mostly a lot of keto moves oh steven seagal yeah okay he's got some good ones yep uh oh i can almost i can see him but i can't think of his name damn see don't turn 80 (laughs) 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 oh there he's he he has the choreographed is good and some of these some of these other ones, the the Asian ones that come out, they're so you try to believe them, yeah. But they they're, they're so over the top orchestrated that it loses that kill factor, yeah. That really ticks you up, you know what I mean? But there's uh, there was a couple of girls that that were good for their characters that they played, what they did, and I can't think of the yeah. I like I like the ones who look that look real. Those are usually my favorite ones. Yeah. The ones that look too glossy, they, they it turns me off in a way. Yeah. 
Does that make sense? All right, I got, I got kind of a final question, not, not to do with martial arts, but I'm curious. After Eddie and the Cruisers and after the success of that movie, did you ever at all consider, hey, maybe maybe acting's for me? Was that ever even a thought? Well, not to leave the music field. Okay. Uh, I've, my music will always be with me. That's my first love and choice that, you know, uh, my cousin back in 1959, 58, 59, my cousin is a bass player, and he was playing with my cousin Joe Silver. And he released a record with that band. And I said, and I was playing saxophone already. Mm-hmm. And I, I said, wow, I want to do that. Nice. That was a 58, 59. And I did do that in 1961, recorded and released my first record, The Grasshopper, That's with awesome. Mike and the Blazers. And then I did a cover of John Lee Hooker's Boom Boom in 63, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, and I, I toured with Chuck Berry, uh, wow. with the with Richard Nader uh, original rock and roll mm-hmm. show with Bo Diddley, the Shirelles, wow. Little Richard. I mean, the, 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 it was the who's who of rock and roll. Mm-hmm. And like we did Madison Square Garden. We went to Cobo Arena in Detroit, Montreal, D.C., Boston, uh, Springfield, Mass. And stuff. And we did that for about a year and a half back and forth. And that, that was incredible. That's cool. You know, you always look at Madison Square Garden as the sports mecca of the world. Yeah. Because that's what it was back then. And it's still, you know, both for music and now for whatever else they want to have there. Mm-hmm. But to play there on that stage with 17,000 some people and behind Chuck Berry and do this and do that. And that's cool. That, and, you know, it was uh, just just amazing. Roy Orbison oh, was wow. on the second one. We, yeah. Wow. That's cool. Uh, Lloyd Lloyd Price, Jeez. you know, mm-hmm. it was just a very special time. And the the way the artists came out was the same way you come out of the box fighting. Mm-hmm. That's where they came out. They felt like they had, if the record was 1962, and this was like 1969, 1970, mm-hmm. they felt like it was 1962. And that's the record. Bang! And they hit it. Nice. And that brings that, the love of what it is you do the blossom right there in front of all these people. And it was just amazing. And you can tell when you go to a concert, you can tell if the artist is truly having fun and loving it or if it's a job, you can tell, unfortunately, because I've, I've been to some where you can tell it's a job and they don't want to be there and they're just going through the motions. And, but so many others, they just, they still love it. And one of the best ones I saw Johnny rivers in concert like 20 years ago. Oh, wow! And it was at a casino. And the one thing I remember is right before the show started, you heard a guitar start playing. And mm. it played for like a minute, no one on stage. And, and he walked out playing the guitar. He did not stop playing the guitar for 90 minutes. Even he finished a song and he kept playing and he kept playing right. until the next song. And I, and afterwards I got to talk to him because I worked in radio at the time. And I asked him, I said, what? I said, how can you, he's like, cause I still love it. And his eyes just lit up and I was like, wow, that's the best answer ever. That's <laughs> so cool. Yeah. It's like, you know, a lot of, uh, many times people come up and say, how, how can you, how can you play the same song? Week after week, month after month, year after you know, I said, mm-hmm. and they're laughing, you know, how do you do that? I said, let me put it this way Are we friends? I said, Yeah, yeah. I said, Have we been good friends for a while here? Yeah. I said, Should I ignore you <laughs> and make like you're not here? Well, that's what the songs are. They're like a good friend. That's a good way and to good put friends, it. Good friends never fail you, it's when you do. And then you know, I was just going to say something. <laughs> uh, it's like a, an act of kindness, mm-hmm. you know, because yeah. a lot of times people say, oh, what else do you do? 
I said, this is what I do. Why, do you have to do something else because you're playing music? Well, I just thought, yeah, I said, well, what do you do? I said, well, uh, I'm a lawyer. Do you play at night? You go play? You like to play. You say you play this and that. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I don't have time. Well, I said, well, I always have time for what it is I love to do. The same way as you being a lawyer or someone being whatever they are. Yeah. Do what you love and do it from the heart. Because if you don't, you're fooling yourself and you're living a life of jeopardy. Wow. That's what you're doing. You're only hoping that, oh, I'll be happy this time. Oh, last time wasn't so good. Oh, man. Oh, this was good. You go and you do the best. Exactly. And, I, and I've only got to see you play live once. Like I said, John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown Band, they played uh, in Fargo, North Dakota at, at an event called Rib Fest probably over, I'm guessing, probably 15 years ago it was. And uh, it just, it was, I, I was so excited. I loved, and I, I'm, I'm hoping I get to see you guys live again sometime. Cause it's, if anyone gets a chance, it's just pure rock and roll. So it's just good music and just so much fun. You guys are so good live. And it's, it's been such an honor to have you on the show and, and talk martial arts and a little bit of music. Cause uh, like I said, Eddie and the Cruisers, one of my all time favorite movies. Absolutely love it. I, I cried. <laughs> I cried when Wendell died and I'm, I'm not ashamed to admit it. <laughs> Spoiler alert if you haven't seen the movie. <laughs> but, <laughs> but if not, I recommend go watching it because it's really, really good. I love it. But I I just I love that you're still doing what you love and 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 been doing it this long and, and bringing great music to us. And I can't wait to hear the new music you guys are working on. Yeah, we got new ones out, uh Day in the Sun and uh Blue California and we've got a few we're gonna be releasing the, the whole album this year. Nice. Probably by springtime. So we're well, still uh, kicking it celebrating 50 years in the business that's so awesome as beaver, as beaver brown for me it's been seven, almost yeah 70 years wow last year for me from the time i picked up my horn that is so cool i'm co-writing a book right now really yes and i had released a book of poems uh, a little over a year ago okay it's a bot book of tales book of truth book of tunes okay and they're motivational spiritual uh, what do you want to say um, uh, a few about the flag and nine uh eleven, -huh. okay, and family and stuff like that. And this new book is called The Art of Kindness. Oh wow! And I'm co-writing it with a woman called Carol Loros, and she had a book out called Macrobiotics: My Journey from Music to Macrobiotics. Okay. And we're just about done with it now, and we're going to be going to press with it hopefully by the middle of next month oh you'll have to let me know because if, if, if it's out by the time the podcast comes out i can put a link out for it where can they get your first book well right now i just pulled it offline because i've been so involved with this new book but if you send me a, a street address or something or a house address i'll send you a copy oh wow it's very i and appreciate it's like, that uh, there's like 46 poems in this okay and i say like it, it they vary you know, mm -hmm. I have a lot of, you know, there's one on 911. Okay. You know, you call 911. You know, this is going to, it says, no fire is too small when we get the call. All flames are fair game to be put out. The solid sounds you hear are our boots hits the ground. So we rescue everyone. Then we all get out. And when heroics are the norm and extraordinary, we will never settle for anything less. There is no price tag for all the life said. The bell rang. And we answered the call, 911. That's awesome. And wow. I, and I have some, do you have any friends who are firemen? I actually do. Policemen? Yeah. One of my classmates, 
You have children, Brian? I do. I have three three children. My oldest son is uh, he'll be twenty five in May. Uh-huh. He he was living out east. He just moved back here in November to Minnesota. My middle son uh, just turned twenty in December. He's going to college in Utah for acting. And our daughter is seventeen. She's a junior in high school. Yeah, I have one in here for daughters, and I have one. Uh, it's called World Girl. It's a motivational one for women or oh, for girls. Very cool. I'll have to allow, and, let her read that. Yeah, and and the daughters one. It, it's uh, I'll read it. It's real quick. It okay. goes to all our daughters who are grown and on their own. You've faced all that was thrown at you, and now you're not alone. You've given it your all and have proven your worth. No one can deny your rights, given at birth. So share with your daughters. We're coming up behind you. That's what you do. That's cool. Wow. So, you're really good. That's good. And my daughter actually wants to be a writer. So <laughs> she's really? she, yeah, she's into oh, ri- cool. well, writer and an actress. I mean, all, all three of my kids. So all three of my kids did martial arts. They all got their junior black belts. They didn't stick with it any longer. Although my 20 year old uh-huh. wants to get back into it. And they also ha- all have been involved in theater since they were like in kindergarten. They've all done musical theater and cool. They're all singers, and and plus my middle son's also an athlete. He did track and cross country and and cross country skiing in high school. So oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. So my kids stay busy. Then my daughter just made the speech team this year in high school, and she's doing the one act play this month. And my kids keep me running around. You know. Then I have the 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 other ones who are other poems that are uh, a little different. Like this mm-hmm. is a leaf in the wind, as quiet as a pen, for I know not where where it had been. A tree left behind. I wish it were mine. The branches now bear only the birds care. It waits for me to call as summer is turning to fall. This leaf has had its flame. Now I have to wait for spring. Wow. That's really good. That's cool. Yeah, I'll definitely, I'll, I'll text you my address as soon as we're done here. I'd love to check that out. That's really cool. Well, I will definitely put a link out for the band's website and, and anything else I need to when the episode comes out. And and just from the bottom of my heart, I want to thank you. This has been a dream come true. It's been such an honor to have you on the show, and, and I can't wait for people to hear this episode. Thank you so much. Thank you, Brian, and you and all your friends who, who make your podcast a success by the people that you bring that, and uh, bring a certain amount of uh, fun truth and just love what you do and do it from your heart i love it it's been it's been a blast and and i I truly appreciate it god bless you thanks for listening to everyday martial artists we hope you will join us every week for a brand new episode with a different martial artist telling their story if you enjoy the show be sure to leave us a review also be sure to check out our website at everydaymartialartist.com there you can find all of our episodes and contact us to suggest guests and ask questions Again, thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist, and we'll see you next week.